0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. You already know what time it, is. time it is. It's that official time. When we take this worldwide. Wide. Let's go. So now it's time to turn it up Surf the radio waves as we begin to burn it up
1: Indeed, indeed, indeed. Episode two hundred and four. We are live and living and Kelligan, funking like a monkey, if you will. I am Chris Featherstone. And ladies and gentlemen, this is episode two hundred and four of the Pancakes and Power Slam show. Thank you so much for continuing to support us. We absolutely adore and is so pleased by just the continual support and just honored and, and thankful. Uh, to to be here every single Tuesday, we are here and we are live and we're having some fun. So thank you so much for that, and we're so honored. And ladies and gentlemen, we we want to have a theme. We ha- we want to have a theme, and and I, I I I every week I give everyone a a health a health check of uh, of how I'm doing because. About a month ago, I, w- I had bronchitis, and <clears throat> they told me like four to six weeks for a cough. And ah, uh, yeah, yeah, just just no good. So, but just a small cough, um, much much better. Last week, I uh, I I, blew, I threw my back out, and it uh, it was no good. Uh, so I was limping. Uh, so that was interesting, but. I'm healed, I'm here, and I thank God uh, for another Tuesday. So, we are going to have some fun, ladies and gentlemen. I am so excited about our guests for tonight. And uh, this person uh, was definitely, because I I, I grew up in the 80s, I'm in my mid-30s, as as I've said many times, and I made it clear uh, as far as. As far as uh, just legendary traditional announcers that I absolutely love so much, and I, I appreciate the the old school theme. I appreciate traditional uh, wrestling, and one thing, and I've had an, an announcer on here before. I think that the announcers um, kind of gets. Kind of get a, kind of get overlooked sometimes, and I think that people don't realize that it takes so much to really uh, kind of envelop the whole thing of of just a person, announcer, wrestler. It, it, it's all one big package. So without further ado, let's let's play a little bit of this and announce the. the uh the awesome awesome uh featured guests for this week, so let's start off with this just to get you uh whet your appetite a little bit. Without a doubt, one of my favorite wrestling theme songs of all the times. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I'd like to introduce WCCW, World Class Championship Wrestling Legendary announcer, Mark Lawrence. How are you tonight?
0: Well, I'm doing well, and I hope you get over your cough and get your back back in shape, Chris, so you can shine.
1: Thank you very much, sir. I, uh... I'm a certified personal trainer and, uh, I, I love working out and just, it was a freak accident, Mark, just, just, uh, g- getting ready for work and just, just totally just, just went out. Uh, I had surgery a, a few years ago, uh, because I have scoliosis in my back and, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a challenge for at least 20 years of my life. But, um, you know, I, I believe that God is a healer and, uh, Um, I I am blessed to be married to a licensed massage therapist. How about that?
0: Well, that is a blessing, and I remember the wrestlers used to swear by a good chiropractor. Not all of them were reputable. Some of them were just voodoo mongers or in it for the money. But they said if you get a good one, that will rough you up it will help. And I also have suffered from scoliosis and my back has gone out and I'm under the care of someone very similar to your wife. And it has made a big difference. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I had chiropractic care years ago. It didn't do too much. I had physical therapy um, twice and it didn't do, didn't do much. Either I did an inversion table. Um, I, I did uh, uh, injections. It just did. None of it worked. <coughs> Excuse me. So yeah, but you know, I'm here and and I'm and I'm young, still still young, and and I have a lot to and I have a lot to uh, to accomplish in my life, God God willing, and and I'm excited. So it, it's exciting to have you here tonight, sir.
0: Well, I'm glad to be here and hope I can be of help, information, and entertainment.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: So here's
1: here's the thing. Like I said before, a lot of people kind of overlook the importance. Of announcing of a good wrestling announcer, I think I think in order to have to to put a wrestler over, it's the total package. It's a it's a good announcer bring you bring you in the 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 the, the, the kind of the smoke and mirrors that come with the, the the theme song and the and the charis, and, and the charisma, and we'll talk about the Freebirds here in a minute, and they both and all of them oozed you know both a good theme song and charisma, but you know. There was something about you that I really liked you You had the most monotonous presentation and the coolest kind of therapeutic voice that I always, that I ever remembered and I remember you called the uh you would call uh buddy Jack Roberts the toast of the coast and and that's and every time you would say that, it was just real confident and just real real um like i said, just real oozing. So when did you realize that your voice was a gift?
0: Well, I had done some broadcasting work uh, as a young man in a variety of fields and had been a, somewhat of a leader during high school with the voice being a gift. You know, it'll cover for your mistakes sometimes and impress mm-hmm. people even when somebody else may be smarter. But Fritz Von Erich owned the promotion. He's the guy that hired me. He's the guy I worked for. And Fritz had a fascinating ethic that not all other, at that time, territorial promoters offered. And that was he wanted a revered position of respect for his announcers. Mm -hmm. Because his take on the deal was, if the people trust and respect the announcer, then they will trust and respect the message and the product. Mm -hmm. Hence, he didn't want the wrestlers bullying the announcer He didn't want the announcer in the middle of the physical fray. Now, they could come out certainly the heels and be antagonistic, but even from the heels, there was an ethic of respect for the announcer because Fritz felt that that helped advance the greater vision and the greater cause. Mm -hmm. And when I started out doing TV work, this was back in the days of the low budget, and there was no color person. So I had to describe the action, I had to promote the upcoming matches, I had to invoke the psychology, and I quickly learned that I had to develop a rapport with the audience because that rapport, that comfort level, was a part of what Fritz was trying to get over with the respect level. So it may be, Chris, what you're describing was part of that effort to have not only an informative presence, but somewhat of a... A pastoral and and psychologically trusting presence uh, for the greater good of the promotion. Yeah,
1: yeah, and, and, and that's a good point. And so, doing some research, you 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 had you got your the, the wrestling deal from from hockey, correct?
0: Yes, I'd been doing some things in the area, one of which was the hockey PA in Fort Worth. We had a minor league hockey franchise here that had been off and on very successful during the 70s and 80s. And there was a big hockey fan uh, and wrestling fan out of Michigan who was working for a local TV affiliate here who was a backup sports guy, and he called me one day and told me about a PA job open in the area. And I'd never been to a professional wrestling match. I had glanced through the channels and seen it on television Bill Mercer was the lead announcer who had done some great work. He was in on the Kennedy assassination. He was the first Mm -hmm. Texas Rangers announcer, had done Dallas Cowboy work, and his career was changing. His last Major League Broadcasting job had been in Chicago, and he got into some conflict with Harry Carey, who was close to the team owner, Bill Veck, with the White Sox, and had gotten fired. And he was teaching broadcasting at the University of North Texas. So for Fritz to land somebody with that background, was a feather in Fritz's cap. And so I had seen Bill on television and seen the wrestling, but I'd never been. And so when this job came to me, it was a temporary offering. It was supposed to last three weeks, and it didn't go that way. Mm-hmm. It went, went much better. Uh, very interesting.
1: So did you grow up watching wrestling at all?
0: No, I, I hardly ever watched it. Just flipped through the channels, was aware of it and had never been to one in person. And that first night of that three-week temporary gig, when I was just a fill-in, they had to tell me who the wrestlers were. Even somebody like a a Kevin Von Erich, who was a big name, I had no clue who they were. So they would tell me what to say, I would say it, and uh, when the temporary gig proved to be something greater than that, I had to go to school real fast to learn the personalities, the psychology, the holds, the language, and all of the functions. Yeah.
1: So was it a matter of just immersing yourself in the business at that time? Because, you know, I, I'd imagine other than a office position, kind of like now you have like branding and, uh, and media, social media, things like that. But I'd imagine that cause I, you know, listening to some other interviews that you were in, uh, recently, you said that you didn't travel too much with the boys. Uh, however, I'd imagine that you kind of were in the lifestyle as far as the wrestling lifestyle, or were you able to kind of clock in and clock out type of thing?
0: It was pretty much clock in and clock out. Uh, I, you know, I started out as just the ring announcer. Bill was still doing the television, and then when they started the syndicated show out of Dallas, they bumped him up to do that show and gave me Channel Eleven. Uh, but in those early years, I was there on, Mon- on Sunday nights because the original Dallas show was on Sunday, and then Monday night in Fort Worth where we did the TV taping. They later moved the Dallas show to Friday night when they started the world syndication. But that was pretty much the extent of it. But as syndication got big, they began using me for the prep work, which was all the interviews that were placed in the boxes. Because in those days, syndicated means you got a big uh, cassette tape that three quarter inch tape that any station could play whenever they wanted to and it would be loaded with localized interviews for the matches pertaining to that area and we would tape interviews literally for hours on a Friday morning uh, at the studio in Dallas that would be loaded in those things so that's when I started get getting more involved in and more aware of the broader spectrum of what they were doing
1: yeah. So, other than the Freebirds, I'd imagine I'd imagine the Freebirds would be one of the top, if not the top. Other than the Freebirds, who was your favorite person to interview during the show? Who who had who was who was good on the stick?
0: One of the greatest personalities that I enjoyed personally, as well as professionally, was not one of the top names, but was a good mid-level man, and that was. Known as the honorable Armand hussein okay and uh who <laughs> yeah. Hussein missed his calling. He could have been in Hollywood, he could have been on the stage in New York. He was a truly brilliant, personable, creative, fun guy to be around, mm-hmm. and he had my number, and he knew it, and he played that he could make me laugh uh he had the gift of timing. Uh, he was just so much fun, such a wonderful guy. Uh, we were out. He showed me some of the greatest barbecue places in Dallas that no one would ever find. They were so obscure. Talked about life issues. He was truly my personal favorite.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about Iceman King Parsons?
0: Iceman was a lot of fun. He was hardworking, Uh I remember overhearing some discussions that that so-called black, the more the more politically correct term today would be African-American talent, was hard to come by, at least for this office, for whatever the reason. So Iceman was a treasure to everybody because he was a great guy. He was great talent. You could count on him. Uh, he was just good people. And uh, he was one that everybody liked to have a lot of fun with in the back room uh, he just just knew who he was and was comfortable as who he was. He's a good man.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, did you notice any type of racial privilege uh, with Fritz or, or with any other execs in the office?
0: No, I really didn't. Uh, mm-hmm. They they recognized that diversity made money for them. Absolutely. Uh, And they did their best, but the main constraint was not so much a racial card as it was a financial card, because Fritz could be cheap. Mm -hmm. And uh, he took care of his boys first, and there were some opportunities that were missed just because of, you know, financial issues. You know, that office took off and just went everywhere in the early 80s, and yet the office staff never really grew much beyond what it was when it was just a local regional promotion Uh, for reasons, you know, we can talk about later. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So Bill Mercer, and he is still 90 years young and living. Um, I I looked at an interview that you, that you had with him uh, at some type of convention last year. And uh, it it was like a uh, reunion of, uh, world class and uh man he was 89 at the time and wow i mean <laughs> for someone to be 89 and still conducting you know interviews it's it's phenomenal do you still talk to bill relatively frequently and what would you say just the biggest takeaways that you got from bill as as a color guy and as a uh and as as an interviewer
0: Well, Bill is living in uh, the Durham, North Carolina area. He lost his wife, who passed away here, uh, gee, I think early last year. Mm -hmm. And he moved over there to help be with her, and they have uh, children that are in that area. Bill Mm -hmm. is remarkably sharp for his age. He's a great guy. He's a smart man. He's just as sharp at 90, uh, you know, as anyone could be. We had a great relationship, but we did not work closely together because he was busy on the syndicated show, and I was busy with the the uh, KTVT Channel 11 satellite show in Fort Worth. But Bill and I always had a very pleasant, comfortable rapport. And when Bill would be out doing other things, uh, then I was a stand-in for the syndicated show. He was gone when Kerry won the world championship mm-hmm. at Texas Stadium. And that became my bout to call just simply because Bill, you know, had a lot of other broadcasting opportunities going for him at the time. Bill would frustrate sometimes some of the wrestlers because his vocabulary was so good, they would say he's talking over the audience. (laughs) Uh, But they'd say the same thing about me sometimes. But uh, Bill had a great sophistication about him, but a very down-to-earth persona and a great sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that was eighty what, eighty eighty four, the part of Champions or eighty three?
0: Uh you got me on that. I think it was eighty four. Mm, okay.
1: Um yeah, I always remember Bill Mercer um having that huge microphone. I mean he had the headset with the with the microphone and the um the filter. <laughs> the, the the filter padding part was just like huge. And those big are big old wind
0: windscreen
1: yeah the screen, yeah the yep the windscreen it was it was huge, and uh you know those are just little things that you notice as kids like you know and just in retrospect as well uh looking at old you know world class stuff and man it was just it was intense and i and I really loved the play calling uh there it was it was absolutely awesome so how we talked about fritz a little bit, how would you describe the backstage morale as a whole in world class
0: well, early on, it was exceedingly high. Uh, there were great great dreams, great excitement. The thing just took off and did great. The loss of Gary Hart was a temporary setback. Gary had been hurt and concerned by a payoff and some other issues and, and left the promotion. Ken Mantell followed. Uh, Gary had done a great job of bringing in some great talent and laying the foundation that Ken could build on, and it really took off. But as the Von Erich boys began to run into trouble with drug abuse, suicide, other you know tragedies, and Fritz had a reluctance to take the ball that he had been handed, and that may not be a good description, but the ball he'd been blessed to catch, uh, he didn't want to run with it. Uh, he had such ferocious loyalty with the people that he had been in Collegialship with for many years those fellow promoters that he didn't want to run against them in their territories mm-hmm. and uh, he also had some theological issues because he was concerned that there were God issues in the loss and the issues with all these boys so he didn't want to do anything you know to rock the boat maybe in his relationship with God which is not good theology but I think that's where Fritz was And so he wouldn't take the promotion where it could go. And as people began to realize that this guy is content to keep this as a regional territory with just an occasional out-of-the-box match, they weren't going to go and make the money that they could make if they went to Atlanta with Ted Turner then or with Vince McMahon in New York. And so those two things, the Von Eric boys' issues and Fritz's reluctance to go big – caused the morale to turn significantly mm-hmm. starting in about late 85 through 86, 87, when it really started moving a different direction.
1: Yeah, because that seems like that was really when the turn happened because it seems like there wasn't a lot of uh, desire to uh, cross-promote or cross-brand. You know, in the NWA at that time, you know, 85, 86, 87, you know you had the nwa uh territory w world class was an nwa territory for for a a period of time uh, uh, wasn't it
0: for a long time because the nwa Mm -hmm. was that old national association of all those promoters right and uh you know they communicated with each other they developed the world champion they developed the payoff that that individual would get whoever best represented the promotion And that lasted until Fritz's TV went on satellite. And that was the first time that somebody else's television show got seen in somebody else's market. Mm. And that's when you either went after it or you didn't. Fritz chose not to. McMahon and Turner did, and history was made.
1: Yeah, and and I don't quite understand that because, um, you know, Fritz had flair. I mean, he had you know, he had the access to have Flair who was the NWA world heavyweight champion at the time. And of course, I mean, we saw what Flair was doing with, with Crockett and, you know, just, just being that NWA champion gave him access to work with different NWA promotions. And I don't understand, was it, was it kind of like a a rift between him and Crockett that they couldn't kind of work together? Or was it, like you were saying, was it just a desire? Was Fritz even making the effort to to cross-brand or cross-promote?
0: He didn't want to make the efforts. And he had voices at him from every direction saying, Fritz, you are missing the opportunity of a lifetime. And his standard answer was, I think Texas is big enough for me and my boys. And they could not get the point across to him that there was more going on here than he and his boys he uh, he agreed to let us run in Boston in about the summer of '84, may have been in '85, but I think it was following in '84 after the big Texas Stadium deal, and it was going to be a big deal. For some reason, he had no issue with running in Boston, and the Boston Garden was lined up, the Great Arena there downtown, home of the Bruins, to host the event. And Fritz got cheap and cold feet and wouldn't pay the rent for the building. And we wound up in Lynn, Massachusetts, a a suburb of Boston, in a run-down, concrete, outdoor, bleachered high school football stadium, which, you know, just destroyed so much of the promotability of the event and still had a huge crowd and a great run. But Fritz never would, you know, go back, go to the garden, do the big things, run in New York. Uh, and take the thing and so the top talent the free gorgeous jimmy garvin so many of those big names they just went elsewhere
2: yeah. and
0: uh, guys mm-hmm. like jim helwig who came in later he was the dingo warrior with us he became the ultimate mm-hmm. warrior later their stay in our office was very short-lived because once they became known world class was becoming a minor league farm system for vince mcmahon and ted turner yeah yeah absolutely
1: Someone like Shawn Michaels, too. I mean, did you ever have any interaction with Shawn Michaels?
0: Uh, I think, if I remember, I had a few. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stone Cold uh, Steve Austin called me here yep. back That's in the me. fall and came by my office one day. And, you know, I I remember him when he started out as stunning Steve Austin. Uh, wow. And, again, he was able to move beyond this office very quickly when had it been big time, we could have retained those people.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I
1: think Mick Foley, was, uh, he had to run a world-class dude, didn't he?
0: Yes, he did, and Mick was at that event last winter that you referred to where Bill Mercer and I were interviewed as a part of the Fan Fest, and he and I had a great visit. In fact, uh, he, we were both told that I needed to leave the table so that the fans could get to him for the autographs. Uh, yeah. Needless to say, there wasn't that great a demand at mine, so we got a kick out of that, but he's a great guy. <laughs> Yeah.
1: And, you know, when when I remember world-class, I thought about, you know, I think about people like, of course, Bruiser Brody, and of course, you know, like the Missing Link. I mean, yeah, it's, he, he was someone like the Missing Link had popularity, he had tradition, he was there for a while. But I just wonder if you could just really rest your hat on, you know, names that you're not building as well. To have kind of marquee, you know, uh, sellout crowds, and and, and, you're, and it makes a lot of sense when you're saying that, you know, France was so you know adamant about his boys, and you know, it, 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 they just it just missed out on a lot of a lot of opportunity there. So, and, and it makes perfect sense of what you're saying. So you mentioned before. That you didn't travel with a lot of personnel. Now did you travel by yourself, you know, down the roads or were were there occasional travel that you had with some
0: of the boys at least? Yeah, there was occasional travel. We did a series of shows uh in San Antonio during my early years of doing television. Uh and I would fly down with the boys or if I didn't want to fly just drive. If I drove I went by myself. I went to Lawton, Oklahoma a few times, made trips to the trips to Boston. I think we may have gone up there twice when it turned out, and uh, several other places, Oklahoma City. Uh, There was some of that, but I was not in the regular travel circuit. Those guys, you know, in the old days of the regional territory, they were in the car running, you know, thousands of miles a week to all these different places, and I was never involved in in that degree of it.
1: Now, you... You, you, your 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 faith um, uh, really has has really molded and shaped you for for a number of years to the point where you're pastoring a church now, which is awesome. Now, back then, you you were you were steadfast in your faith as well, correct?
0: Yes, uh, you know, much more immature. Not that I'm mature now, but it's all a progression. Uh, yeah. But, yes, I was very involved. And, you know, a lot of those years I was doing TV, I was working my way through school uh, mm-hmm. because I taught school <clears throat> during my free days mainly as a sub because the studio work kept me from being there every day. But I was in the same school most of the time and knew the kids and the faculty. And then once I surrendered to the call to ministry, which happened uh, on a Friday night in Dallas is when I finally got over my fear and insecurity about that, and that was a great night for me. But then I went to seminary, and the schedule of what I was doing allowed me to go to school and, uh, you know, work in the evenings and work on weekends. So that was all happening at the time.
1: Now, were there interactions, you know, as you, you know, were were outwardly living your your faith? Were there any personnel from W from world-class. I know you shared some French stories in previous interviews, but were there any other wrestlers that were interested or you had conversations with about guy?
0: You know, not really too much. Uh, I missed some opportunities just in my shyness. Uh, I've told some other interviews that Gino Hernandez, whose given name was Charles Wolf was obviously a guy who was lonely and looking for some meaningful relationships of depth, and I could have seized that. Uh, Gino, of course, you know, most know the story that he passed away from either foul play or a drug overdose or some combination therein, and I'm just like several others. We wonder if we could have prevented that. Uh, There was a wrestler. This was the other well, like, I'm not even sure I remember his name, who came and visited me in my first church uh, a couple of times, which was a little student pastor appointment down south of Dallas, and maybe his name will come to me before we're done. But not too much of the connection between the the faith and the wrestling. Fritz and I had some conversations about that, and Fritz was very confident and comfortable with my faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was about the extent of it. Mm-hmm
1: and you share some radical stories about Fritz that were very interesting.
0: Yeah, Fritz was an interesting guy. Fritz is a good man and anything was a good man and anything I say about him is just, you know, part of the human condition and the different personality traits we all have. He was always yeah. a good man, but he he had a hard side to him and at times some of the antics were hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: So let's let's just shortly talk about the Sportatorium, the good old Dallas Sportatorium. And, uh, you know, it's like, I think I think it uh, got demolished in 2003, if, not, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Um, yeah, but, about that time.
1: Yeah. And I, I just wish that I would have had a chance to just be in there at least one time because it, uh, from what <clears throat> I, I don't think the because, cause, you know, you had World Class, which made the the Sportatorium looked big. But then you had like Global Wrestling Federation, which I also followed. They didn't really make the Sportatorium look big because I'd imagine because there were probably only 100 people in there. But I I think the capacity is like nearly 5,000 people, if I'm not mistaken. Were there any time ever that you remember having a a packed house for world-class in in the Sportatorium?
0: Yes, we had a run starting in about 83, that went for about two and a half or three straight years where we basically sold that building out every Friday night uh, unless there was something like horrific weather, like ice on the ground and we're in Texas and we don't have the salt for the roads. Other than that, it was at capacity every night. You know, part of that building had burned down back Mm -hmm. in the 1960s And it used to be larger than what it was during my era because they just literally tore off the part that burned and built a wall. And that's why there were very few seats on one side of the ring Uh, is because that's the part of the building that got lost. It was kind of weird because the ring wasn't in the center of the building. It was off to the side and it was almost like a three-sided building with, you know, one very small section where that wall was. But it it seated probably 3,500, maybe 4,000. It was all bench seating. The the ringside seats had a back on the bench. But above that, it was just flat bench seating. Mm -hmm. And the upper panels of the walls opened, leaving a chicken wire screen so that you could get some air circulation through there because it did not have air conditioning. It had some old gas heaters, so in the winter it could stay somewhat warm. But in the summer, it was hotter than the hinges of Hades in there. And with the <laughs> lights and the cameras, uh, you know, it was just almost unbearable. Wow. But, but atmosphere, some... you, could, yeah. you couldn't you could cut the atmosphere with a knife. It was the yeah. Fenway Park, the Wrigley Field, uh, you know, of the wrestling world. Yeah, yeah. I was just about to say that the
1: even with that, you know, even with those conditions, there's so much. There was so much rich tradition uh, that was in the sportatorium, and, and generations of of pro wrestling organizations uh, that stepped foot and housed themselves uh, in there. So let's let's talk about real quick the multiple depths of, of world class. Uh, you know, there's, oh my goodness, there's, there's so many. There's Gino, there's, you know, the, the Von Erics, except for Kevin. Of course, there's Brody. I mean, there's the list goes on as far as, you know, depths of people who were a part of world class. Uh, gentleman, gentleman Chris Adams was also a big member of world class who uh, passed as well. What do, What do you think? Why such a curse? on world-class championship wrestling, it it just seems really, really odd for, for world-class to have. And I looked at the, and I saw the DVD years ago, which commemorated all of the passings of people who were in a world-class How, how would you, are you able to put a finger on that whatsoever? And and how in the world could you explain that?
0: Well, number one, I think it, It would only be speculation uh, as to a theory as to what went on. And the second part of the answer to your question would be it's not one thing, but a chemistry of contributing elements. As far as Von Eric Boys go, they never had the emotional maturity to handle what came to them at a young age of life. Mm -hmm. And they had people who preyed upon them. They had people who took advantage of them. They had drugs literally brought to them it was like predators you know people just wanted to be associated with them and they'd find ways to do it and so that contributed to it and they just made bad choices and fritz denial about some of that when those loved ones tried to get his attention say fritz we got to get some help for carrie or whomever uh contributed to that so that's that's one of the occasions the other thing is the burgeoning stardom of that promotion And Fritz's small-town mindset, I mentioned earlier that the staff wasn't any greater when the thing went around the world than it was when it was just, you know, local North Texas. Mm -hmm. Well, that contributed to the fact that you did not have the structures in place to help these guys with business decisions, long-term decisions, pensions decisions, boundary and behavior decisions, and that contributed to it. So you had a, a very active drug culture that no one was willing to acknowledge, recognize, or do anything about. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the guys that came in got thrown into that, and it became a contributing factor. Brody's death, you know, was done by a, a promoter in Puerto Rico that got away with it yeah. cold blooded murder. But yeah. drug use did involve a lot of the other issues that came around. Yeah, just
1: so sad to just really, you know, have world class linked. And still now, just just in conversations about world class championship wrestling, just about every conversation, you know, it involves the Freeburgs, of Von Ericks, and the number of deaths involved in, in, in the in the promotion. Just just so sad. So, kind of a spin off of that. And you, you talked about money. I mean, you talked about drugs and, and influences and things like that, and of course, that would have to do with. Money, you know, spending a lot of money, were there anyone you remember in particular that really had had a problem preserving money?
0: No, I wasn't that close to it uh, the The thing that I would hear, and this is where Fritz was right on target there was the temptation to think that when a when a guy came to our office and was participating with a piece of the great success. And money was pretty good. There was this assumption that it was always going to be this way or that Mm -hmm. it might even be any better. So they tended not to be real good stewards of the success that had come to them. Brody was the, the exception to that. Brody was a good businessman. He was a good father. He was a good husband. He carried cans of tuna with him, cans of sardines. He didn't want to eat out a lot. Uh, he saved his money, and he built an empire. When he died, he left his family in great shape, thank goodness. Uh, but, you know, we didn't have a lot of guys like that to help mentor the others, and Brody tried. Uh, he put his arm around me one night when he was helping Fritz with some promotion late during Fritz's tenure and said, Mark, don't ever put yourself in a position where you lose the right to say, and he used the F word, you know, fu. Mm-hmm. And that was wonderful, loving advice, you know, that captured his own spirit of independence, because he lived that way. He was never loyal to any one office. He was probably as close to this one as any of them, but he had that defiant independence, which is ultimately what made the guy mad in Puerto Rico that killed him. Yeah. But but he had he was not afraid to speak up and be a mentor and try to help some of the younger guys. Yeah, yeah.
1: So there was an incident between him and Luger. I don't know if you ever watched that or or, or remember that at all. It was like a uh, a cage match that he just no-selled what Luger had to offer, and it was just creepy and just <laughs> petrifying to see. Now, do you remember him kind of showing a different side towards anyone?
0: No, no. Uh... Bruiser was always about as rough in the ring as anybody ever was. Uh you know, he had cut his face up, you know, horrible appearance. He never washed his garments that he wrestled in. It was just yeah. awful. I mean, you could smell the 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 suitcase that he would carry into the building because that was a part of that persona. He wanted to be gross and nasty. And so he was about as rough with anybody because the integrity of the business was very important to him. And there was no nonsense. Kayfabe Fabe was God. And he took that very seriously.
1: Yeah. And that's, and that's a good point leading into uh, the last couple of things that I want to talk about is just the spirit of kayfabe. Fabe. And I know you don't watch, you know, much or of or any of, of today's wrestling, but, I'm sure that through interviews and through conversations, you know you you've heard about today's product, and you know it just the spirit of kayfabe is just vanished, and just the social media and the the internet community and, and, and elements like that have really kind of tried to reinvent or recreate what professional wrestling is, but when you ever when you when you try to recreate kayfabe to denounce kayfabe, you kind of do away with just the undergarments of what professional wrestling is. What would you say to those who don't really respect kayfabe?
0: Well, I don't know. just Dollar signs mean everything, and that's what took over the wrestling world that we know. What's interesting about that is that as the WWE emerged as the main major league, the NFL, so to say, of wrestling. The farm system has been lost, and the loss of kayfabe has contributed to that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it is now marketed as a show, but they do it so well, and it's presented so well that the show is still entertaining enough that people just want to enjoy it uh, for what it is. But the thing that made the world-class show so incredible was the TV production where they took the, what they were called then, mini cams up into the ring and you could see instant replay and slow motion and the people who were skeptical and outspoken about it being fake or being choreographed or being put on, when the production was so good, it even shut them up. Mm -hmm. And they began to have doubts because the talent level was so high and the production so good that it was coming across every bit as effectively as professional sports or professional boxing because they were good. But you mentioned the talent and you mentioned Missing Link earlier. As the top names began to leave, you lost that ability because the mid-level talent that had to be used then at the top level wasn't good enough to carry that. We'll said there.
1: So let's let's end up with the I'm going to talk about your ministry for a couple of minutes but before then let's let's talk about the Freebirds, the fabulous Freebirds. Now, definitely one of the best names that ever come out of world class championship wrestling. There's some speculation that they may be inducted into a class, a very popular class for uh, uh from a very popular Promotion a wrestling promotion that uh <laughs> that if you can read between the lines then those who are listening know what i'm talking about so as far as as far as the hall of F- the Hall of fame, why do you think and of course this is redundant why do you think that the free is deserving to be in the w w e Hall of fame?
0: Well, I think the Freebirds were a remarkable chemistry of physical and psychological giftedness. Those are three different personalities. Michael Hayes, obnoxious, flamboyant, uh, you know, could could just reach an audience with his ability to communicate both verbally and and physically. You had Terry Gordy, who was a big old bully, you know, would would beat up the side of a building if he had the desire. Hmm. And you had Buddy Roberts, who was exceedingly acrobatic, but could play yes. the part almost of a stooge. <laughs> yeah. But yet there was this suspicion that he was acting, that he was a whole lot smarter than he really was. And so you had these three great personalities that complemented each other who came to this office first as babyfaces. And, you know, it wasn't until the big turning at Reunion Arena when the cage door uh, slammed in Carrie's face that they became heels. And they became the perfect counteract for the Von Erichs who played the part of these wholesome, homegrown, hometown never-color-outside-the-line boys who really didn't have all that much charisma and personality. David did, and mm-hmm. Carrie had the body, but the Freebirds had the personality to antagonize and bring the electricity to that, and it was just the perfect combination. And yeah. so, you know, they they don't get enough credit. And you say that about a lot of other guys as well. The Von Erichs were good, but Dad owned the promotion, and they had to have somebody to showcase them. And these guys, in many ways, brought a whole lot more to the office than the Von Erich boys were ever able to offer.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because they they knew how to drew they they knew how to draw heat to make the Von Erichs look good. And I've had many discussions about that as far as what who a heel is and the definition and the essence of the heel, a heel, a good heel, like, you know, Ric Flair and Roddy Piper. It's it, they know how to, cause at the end, the, the baby face wins. I mean, that, that's the end of the story. That's the end of the booking. But during that journey and during that process, a good heel makes people hate him enough to draw enough heat to make the person that he loses to, Godlike, and that's and that's what a good heel or good heels do, and the and the free birds were that. I remember when Buddy Roberts had the hair, her, hair versus hair match, and and wearing, and then he started wearing the, the 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 wig, toupee type of thing with the headgear, and it was just, I mean, that's how you draw heat, and I think that that's such a missing link nowadays. But uh, you know, you 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 really you really hit the nail on the head as far as Saying the, the the charisma and the personality that the Freebirds offered, so that was absolutely absolutely on point. So, lastly, Sarah, so about your ministry, Mark, what uh, where can we find you now, and why did you decide to do that?
0: Well, I always tell people that I never decided; it was God's decision, and I see that hand subjectively going way back into my life. I was just never a great student in school. Mm -hmm. And I was afraid of the academic work. Uh, I always knew I could preach. I always knew I could lead a church, but I was afraid of the academic work. And when it finally dawned on me that if this really is God, then God is going to give me the resources I need if I'll trust him and do my part. And that was the story. So that's when I surrendered uh, to that call, went to seminary, and Jerry Jarrett had bought the promotion in 88, second half of 88, And things really began to change, and I knew in early 1990 that by the changes in that promotion and opportunities that were ahead of me in ministry, it was time to step down, because there was a two-year overlap where I was pastoring my first two churches, going to school, and doing Jarrett's TV. Mm -hmm. And Jarrett cheapened the promotion so much, and it became somewhat vulgar, and he didn't have that ethic that fritz had of respecting the announcer and it was just going to be incongruent but since that time i went on and got ordained in the methodist church and married and had kids and raising boys and uh it's been a great journey and i live in arlington texas and i pastor a thousand member united methodist church and we run about 400 on sunday and it's a great group of people and i'm glad to be doing what i'm doing awesome Man, it's
1: great. It's great to hear stories from someone who, you know, 30 30 years ago was there and was uh, a part of of just wrestling when it was just respected and kayfabe and just larger than life. And uh, we appreciate you, Mark. And, um, you know, we had, you know, we just flooded with comments as far as uh, during during the interview. And there's a comment here that says Mark Lorenz has a – such a professional voice. We'd love to hear him commentate on raw after he's inducted into the WWE hall of fame. Another comment said that, uh, you, you commentate, uh, better than anybody. You're you if you, if they put you on raw, you used to be better than anyone that's currently there. So just some, just some encourage, just some shout outs and, uh, people just appreciating, appreciating your craft and what you did for the wrestling business. So we, we definitely appreciate you, Mark.
0: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate the compliments, and let's hope that the day returns when that great psychology of a heel who can study human behavior and pick up those characteristics of the abusive boss, the greedy politician, the guy overseas who's trying to take over the world, whatever it is, can come back and bring that spark and fun back into that world. Oh, amen. Well
1: said, sir. And and on that note we say thank you and uh, I think that's some things that you want and marinate on for sure so awesome awesome time spent with you Mark we really appreciate it
0: you bet call me again
1: we will do thanks a lot. have a good night you too bye
2: bring what you got the measuring stick just changed around here buddy you're looking at it four corners free
1: on mine let's go the whole squad is making
2: it clear, we've taken it here. You know who we are, but you don't know why we're here. So this is where the big boys play, these big boys play. Like who defies the
1: living guy? Get out the big boys' way. Outsiders with the swoop in, we live as kings. You see in us, but our third man waits in the wings. And when the time is
2: right, we shock him with the proper attack. I go for Dolo, but ain't solo, cause the promo in black. Hollywood, Hendrix, Frizzle, pinning them. To the
1: and I'm Dash Wundekin, with the strength of a hundred men, with one intent to see the will fulfilled of the one who sent his son to give himself. But you rap out your guts and your rags torture, white coffins when I drop a bomb. My mic's awesome, never lost faith, you in our space. You can all skate, suffer but never cripple,
2: no bin walls in my cross face. <laughs> From here to Saturday they raving, anticipating
1: I was frostbit, now I am Glacier, mixed with some Vader. Get to hawking with these animals, using God for my defense. In Alabama, we and That's beautiful Bobby and Me and Priest, we the dangerous alliance. Nah, the Harlem Heat. tie the do-rag before we do battle. You're talking sheep. You all what you speak. This too sweet. Now we're back. We repping that work pack.
2: The foundation shaking. No mistaking. Yeah, we shook that. Trusting God we trust. Pushing forward. Never look back. Meekness ain't at all weakness. Some people must shook that. Stamping out this crook rap. Heat turning the power we're on, on the razor's edge. Leg drop after a power bomb, Tired of the lies, man. We bringing the truth
1: through. Diligent and fruitful. The owners in our group, too. It's good to be king. Sold out this war, it's too, We playing them war games. Our army go move, too. Youth crew. I'm in the Baptist with a bat in my hand. And stand to shatter all your plans so they don't matter. In the grand scheme, it's that easy. We tag teaming. the Brothers, we love it. Demand the win. Establish it. The clash to the champions. <laughs> this is where the big boys play, huh? We ain't here to play. World-class championship wrestling, legendary announcer Mark Lawrence, one of the smoothest sounding voices that you've ever heard in announcing history. Like I like I said before, <laughs> when he would just announce Buddy Roberts, I thought it was hilarious. <clears throat> He would call them the toast of the coast, so I loved it, and, and, and it, it's it's just it's surreal, you know, to have you know someone like Mark Lorenzo on, on the show because you know I'm such a wrestling historian and wrestling traditionalist, and I just respect Mark Lorenzo's work so much, and it, it was just awesome to to have him on the show live, and and it was just awesome road stories that I you know you, you can't really you, you can't really you know, pack those in and not appreciate them and just kind of sit on them. you, 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 you got to bring them back. you got to appreciate them. And it's great to hear them, those, those rope stories, and just spending time with Mark Lawrence.
2: Spending time with Mark Lawrence tonight. Chris, seriously, you just you hit the nail on the head. Perfect voice. I mean, he was just so fluid. Everything he said, he could step in today. And it's like he just – Stopped doing it yesterday I mean the guy has a gift WCCW Legendary He was on Pancakes and Power Slams tonight Episode 204 You can't get much better And I mean the road stories uh, Definitely he's got to be back on the show There's no other reason why he wouldn't I mean there's We don't let too many people back on the show But I'd say he'd be one of them uh, I agree Chris Absolutely legendary Bring up the Von Erichs just to be in the same, the same chat room that this guy was just going on and just talking about his road stories. And there's just so much to say, pancakes and power slams, ladies and gentlemen. Everybody has their time on the pancakes and power slams.
0: Yes,
1: sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and that's interesting that you said that because we don't, we've only had one person. To be on here more than once, and that was Greg Gagne. He was here three times, so yeah, it was uh, it was awesome,
2: um, or or twice. Was here two or three times. I don't remember. Twice, but he's going to be on again. He wants to come back on. If I remember, he did. So he wants to yeah, get that worked right. out with. That's right. Get that worked yeah. out with his agent. Eli Drake's going to be back on. So we've got yeah, we've got that's people right. that love the show, and they're going to be on it.
1: That's right, yeah. Um, my boy, Tyler Rex, he, uh, I've talked to him man, a few times, many times, actually, over the past year. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we were uh, talking about him being back on the show, too. So, And then we got more names coming up the pike, so be sure to uh, to stay tuned to the Pancakes Power Slip. So we don't have much time. We have uh, first trivia, as I promised. Uh, Edge and Christian's uh, show that <clears throat> totally wreaked of awesomeness, which was a funny show. Uh, Talked about firsts, so I was like, you know what? How about about this? How about I have some first trivia? So we'll do that. So with that being said, what year did Shinsuke Nakamura win his first IWGP heavyweight championship? What year did Shinsuke Nakamura win his first IWGP heavyweight championship? And uh, there's been a lot of uh, Pub about him too. Uh, he officially signed with the WWE, and he had the video and all that stuff. So, um, how about you, Derek? How about you run through Fast Lane and let us know what happened, and we'll talk about it.
2: Fast Lane it was a bit of a snoozer. We had Del Rio actually lose to Kalisto after the two out of three matches, two out of three falls. Eh, Kalisto wins the belt. Del Rio, he's kind of a Side burner. Anyway, that was the uh, the big match. Becky and Sasha, team bad. Divas Division, honestly, I thought it was absolute news of match. Tired of it. Absolutely just kind of wish all of them would go away except for a select few. And keep that select few. Keep going. You got Charlotte. I mean, you've got Becky Lynch. I mean, those seem to be the cream of the crop anymore. Brie Bella's on her way out. Uh, Owens against Ziggler for the IC match. That was actually – we talked about Owens and Ziggler just kind of being complacent, and we've seen it a million, a million times. We've seen it a million times, and we've always said that's a great – that's a great match. It's a great feud. And I absolutely loved the fast playing match. Owens ends up winning, retaining the title. That's great. Good for Owens. But he wasn't on Raw last night. Evidently, he sent out a tweet earlier says, you know, big deal, who cares? A lot bigger things going on last night, other than uh, Kevin Owens being there. You're the Intercontinental Championship title. So, you should have been on. Maybe not. But Kevin Owens, you and Ziggler, you almost still stole the show. It was a very, very good match for the pay-per-view. That was a bit lackluster. You had the Wyatts against Show Kane and Ryback. <laughs> And the big show Kanan Ryback right back one. Wow. What does that do for the Wyatts? Honestly. And so the <laughs> Wyatts win last night on Raw, which is fine. That's great. But on the pay-per-view, the Wyatts, they lose against these three. And I, ha- I hate to say it has been nobody's but that's pretty much what they are. So it doesn't really give you so much of something to hold on to for the Wyatts. Yeah. Uh, and for show, Kane, Ryback, and Ryback last night just totally punking out and walking away. Whatever. We'll get to that. Uh, Bree and Darla retains the title. Diva's champ. Ric Flair has a little bit to do with it. Not a whole lot. I think Bree is almost going to be gone. Uh, she said she wants to have kids. Obviously, you can't wrestle when you're pregnant unless you're May Young, give birth to a hand. So. Uh, Bree Bella. Goodbye. I'd, I'm not so upset to see her leave. Uh, one of the, She's one of the divas that I'd kind of like to see just go away because you kind of put a tarnish on the name of the divas. Wow. Styles against Y2J, another one that tore the house down. Um, the match itself is great. Styles wins. Y2J looks – he still looks a little pudgy, needs to uh, either – be a full-time wrestler or a full-time, you know, metal singer, whatever he wants to do. But again, on Monday Night Raw seems to be the bandit over the horrible pay-per-view. But it uh, looks like Ry, Y2J, and Styles are going to start to be friends. That could be great. That could be okay. I'm good with that. Our truth against Axel. Oh, my gosh. That was such a filler match. The thing about the pay-per-view last night, Chris – or not last night, but Sunday night, it just absolutely, there was so much filler in it that it was just, this is the last pay-per-view to WrestleMania. This is your final show to dedicate to WrestleMania. And he absolutely blew it. There was no reason for this garbage. Didn't want to see it. Didn't need to be there. I mean, social outcasts could have done something else other than try to put themselves into a match. Give a two, three-minute segment, backstage being silly and goofy but to actually put you on the stage did not work and uh, axel wins who who cares brock dean and reigns you know what the match itself was great reigns won everybody knew reigns was going to win that's it was so predictable this whole fast lane thing uh, the Brock Lesnar, I mean, I it was funny that they buried him in all the rubble of the announce tables. I enjoyed that, but Brock Lesnar coming back out, and then Dean comes in, gives him a few punches, and then he gets speared. Matches over one, two, three. Almost thinking if Dean Ambrose would have won, it would, almost would have been like a, uh, like a Daniel Bryan type moment where uh, everybody that the crowd wanted to win, everybody's behind. One and to go on and really do something spectacular at WrestleMania, but it's Roman Reigns. He was in the main event last year. They've so got Triple H against Roman Reigns. That's your WrestleMania main event. The Brock Lesnar is going to go against Ambrose. Obviously, we find out at WrestleMania. That's going to be good, but uh, I don't know, Chris. The whole thing with Reigns, it was just such a, a shoe in Everybody knew it. I mean. I mean, yeah. it was predictable. Everyone knew what was going to happen. Same old WWE. What do you have for us next?
1: Yeah. Fastlane was just, it was awful. It just, yeah. Uh, I was so... I mean, to me was, and the thing is, it cut off 10 minutes early. And so I'm thinking in my head, I mean, Raw was 15 minutes longer than Fastlane. And this was just, I mean, you see Kevin Owens and Ziggler on Raw all the time. You see Sasha, Becky, Tamina, and and, uh, Naomi on Raw all the time. You've seen Kalisto and Alberto D'Orio thousands of times, seemingly. You've seen Styles and Jericho on Raw before. You've seen a match between Axel and Truth, I'm sure, on Raw before, which doesn't even, you know. And that match won't even make it to Raw. That match is like on Superstars, for some reason, it made the pay per view. Cutting edge peep show with the New Day just didn't make any sense because why would it be eliminated by, why would it be interrupted by League of Nations? It didn't seem like they, that had, there was no continuation with that on Raw so it further didn't make any sense. It just seemed like they just called an audible. It seems like they were just kind of clamoring and they just kind of booked too short. And it just, it just didn't make any sense. I mean, Edge and Christian kind of leave in the ring and then I've been very vocal of how much I like Christian and how much I've liked Christian over the years. But I mean, just the chant, just, it was just, it just sounded desperate and how in the world is the new day buddies with as and Christian, it, oh, it just, that was one of the most confusing segments and just lifeless and pointless <coughs> and boring segments that I've ever seen. So, uh, as far as the, um. Uh, Good job. Right answer. Shinsuke Nakamura won his first IWGP Heavyweight Championship in 2003. Derek, what year did Brock Lesnar debut in the WWE? Uh,
2: I'm going to say 2002. Uh-huh. Yeah! Good,
1: Good job. <laughs> Next question. What notable doppelganger or kind of clone or fake was the first Smoky Mountain Heavyweight champion. What notable doppelganger was the first Smoky Mountain heavyweight champion? All right, so let's get to Raw. We're going to highlight some some certain points on Raw that was that was big. Okay, so uh, you know I, I've said before that there's not a lot of things that I just like mark out about. Uh, but I tell you what, man having Shane McMahon and Here Comes the Money, that's that music come on. It was it was an amazing surprise. It was awesome to see. And man, I mean Shane McMahon is just he's the best non wrestler wrestler in WWE history because the guy knows how to take <clears throat> take bumps. And when he did the um Excuse me. When he did the Van Terminator, um uh yeah, the Van Terminator, the coast to coast that he did with the uh, uh trash trash can. Uh it just it was great and he, he and he made it he made it his own in WWE. And just knowing how to take bumps and fly and just a flying elbow on the on the table. Shane McMahon, he he's always been an amazing hand in WWE. I mean and there's been times where he's been, he's outshined Vince, and he, he's always been that guy, always been important, always been exciting to see, and of course his feuds with with Angle, with Show, with Test, with Kane, and European Championship, Hardcore Championship, main eventing you know like for three or four, or five pay per views, and yeah, so he, it, it's great to see him back. It was an amazing moment. The the Detroit, I, you know, I'm not a Michigan fan whatsoever, but I tell you what, man, kudos to the Detroit crowd to give Shane McMahon that type of pop because it was well-deserved. It seemed like no one was really expecting that type of pop, and but it was so well-deserved. That it, it, it couldn't have happened to a better person as far as uh, this contribution to the product. But here's where it tells spin to me. The interaction with Stephanie is fine. The interaction with Fence was fine. But why are you scheduling him in a match against The Undertaker? What is going What? I was so, I was so just disappointed. With that, it's going to be at WrestleMania and it's going to be against The Undertaker. I just, <laughs> I, I was so, ex- I was so disappointed at that conclusion of that segment that, oh, I was like, man, I, <laughs> you could have just put a nice little bow on this amazing return, but you'd kind of just, Suck the life out of it, in a sense. Because here's the thing, and 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 Mark, thank God that Mark Lawrence was on the show because he just talked about it. As far as knowing how to draw heat, knowing how to build heat. Now Vince McMahon, he he's a heat magnet. He knows how to do it well. But why? How does how does it make any sense at all that someone who was the anomaly? and the phenom and the mysterious one himself the undertaker how does it make any sense at all that he is a hired muscle for vince mcmahon what it boggles my mind to even think about how that makes sense so okay now Let's just set the match aside. A, a Hell in a Cell match between Shane McMahon and The Undertaker. I'm sure they're having a, uh, some amazing spots and it'll be fun and it'll be exciting. I, I get it. But I think it, it's just the the fact that just the match alone, that does not sell the entire angle. The story builds the angle, the climax, the conclusion, the culmination. It's a story. You can't just say The Undertaker versus Shane McMahon and it makes sense. It makes no sense. Why in the world should I believe that The Undertaker is a heel at his event, at WrestleMania? And if Shane beats The Undertaker, Shane will get heat. If The Undertaker beats Shane, Shane is kind of like a one and done. He just comes in. You know, and fights The Undertaker, and and that's it. And I I know that, you know, it was supposed to be Cena Taker. There's still, you know, a bunch of weeks to kind of unravel all this. But just on. There's no. It makes no sense to have the anomaly of WrestleMania, who gets all the pops, The Undertaker, against someone who had one of the biggest returns in WWE history, Shane McMahon. Two people who has. Two of the best reactions of the of the entire company go against each other at WrestleMania for something for for the company for Raw. It, it's it just it made absolutely no sense to me. It
2: was very disturbing. It was disturbing. It sucked because it killed Shane McMahon. Now we haven't seen Shane McMahon in what ten years, and now he comes back. Everyone's excited. He wants to take over Monday Night Raw. I love that idea because he's energetic. He's happy about it. We haven't seen him in so long. Okay, we are going to go up against The Undertaker at WrestleMania in Hell in a Cell. Okay, so like you mentioned, if The Undertaker loses this match, what does that do for The Undertaker? It kills his legacy. If Shane McMahon loses, then we shouldn't see him again because he lost the match and that was stipulation and you can't take over Raw. So there's no gain from it. I mean, there was so much going for five minutes before Vince McMahon announced his stipulation. Are you kidding me? Have Shane McMahon go against Brock Lesnar or something, and just a yeah. regular match. I, I mean, why put him against the Undertaker? It kills. I mean, it it made that whole segment. I marked out totally. I was so excited, and they kept they did such a great job of keeping that a secret. I didn't know Shane McMahon was going to come out. I don't think a lot of people did. And no, him to come out, you were happy or excited, you almost cried. And then you have yeah. Oh, are you gonna go to the Undertaker at WrestleMania and blah 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 and drop some F bombs and what so what? Now that it's just like either way, the outcome of the match is just gonna suck. Because yeah, either you're gonna lose Shane McMahon or you're gonna lose the Undertaker.
1: Yeah, I don't want to see the exactly. Undertaker
2: lose again. So Ex-ex- what's exactly. the point?
1: No, there's no point at all. That's that Exactly. There's no point because the thing is WrestleMania is supposed to build someone to have that big, you know, top-popping, roof-blowing ending. And either person who wins the match at WrestleMania is going to leave people just kind of clueless. Like, uh, what? <laughs> Shane McMahon wins, but The Undertaker loses. So we're like, okay. Shane McMahon, the 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 Undertaker streak is the two losses against Brock Lesnar and Shane McMahon, and when Shane wins, which he should, he's the he's the heroic figure. He needs to go against someone who draws heat. I was thinking someone like a Braun Strowman that <clears throat> is not over, so to speak, but he's huge. He would be that kind of Goliath figure. That was like show and like Kane and like test, you know, the big man feuds that he had before that he was, that it was very successful, but now Taker, who's a big man in and of itself. Yes. But who's, been, who's, who's just the resident baby face of the WWE. He's like the, the crowning jewel of WWE. Just It makes absolutely no sense. Uh, Brian Lee, that's correct. Great job. Uh, what was the first ECW pay-per-view? What was the first ECW pay-per-view? New Day's defeating the Lucha Dragons and Neville. That didn't make sense. Okay, so let's talk. Let's let's do a couple minutes here on on, on Brock Lesnar and, uh, and Dean Ambrose. Uh, I feel the same way with this one, too. So Brock Lesnar has the whole Suplex City. People getting behind him. You're supposed to be building Dean Ambrose as a babyface, as the next baby face, or one of the next top-tier baby faces. Why are you putting him in a feud with Brock Lesnar who's, who's going to get babyface reactions? He needs to be in a feud with someone who is a heel magnet for them to get enough heat, as I've said before, for them to get enough heat to lose against Dean Ambrose, and that that's what puts Dean Ambrose over. Someone who's strong, dominant, who gets a lot of heat, who people want to see lose. People don't want to see Brock Lesnar lose. They want him to suplex everyone and beat him to a pulp. And why am I going to be excited about a Dean Ambrose and Brock Lesnar match, and Brock Lesnar has been literally manhandling Dean Ambrose, since you first touched him, there's nothing that I'm excited about this match. Now, I said this before, I called, you know,
0: <coughs>
1: I called it an Ambrose Lesnar match, you know, weeks ago. Uh, but it's just they have not built Ambrose strong enough as a babyface to go against Brock Lesnar as a viable contender at WrestleMania. And it just makes no sense at all. It's it's kind of nerve wracking. It's not kind of nerve wracking. It is nerve wracking to, for for Brock Lesnar to just come in and just throw Ambrose around like a rag doll and F5 him here and F5 him there. You have to protect Dean Ambrose. If you want Dean Ambrose to be a viable competitor against Brock Lesnar, and make the fans see that there's some parts of Dean Ambrose that actually can go toe-to-toe with Brock Lesnar. Have those moments. Have those moments where Brene Ambrose just takes Lesnar out, even before, you know, the match, even before the match was announced. Have them actually go back and forth. But because of Dean Ambrose's wrestling style and how how they kind of put the reins, you know, so to speak, interestingly enough, on, uh, on on Ambrose's uh, wrestling style, you know, keep getting beat up by Brock Lesnar does not leave any type of interest for him to keep getting beat up by Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania. A horrible way to protect, protect Dean, Ambrose, Dean Ambrose if they want to make him a viable competitor against Brock Lesnar at, at WrestleMania.
2: Well, I mean, to make him against a viable competitor, I mean, the thing about Dean Ambrose is he's, he always gets up. And um, they're making that into, again, like a, almost a Daniel Bryan-type story where he just always gets up. He always gets his shoulder up. He was beaten up before Raw. He comes back into the ambulance. I mean, that was kind of silly thing, you know, whatever. But he always... I mean, we got, what, five, six weeks before WrestleMania, so Dean Ambrose has... A few weeks to really, you know, maybe get his edge over on Brock Lesnar to make it a little more enticing. So it's always, he's he's got that underdog thing. There's plenty of time, like I just mentioned before, WrestleMania. I don't hate the idea of it. I think it's kind of weird to uh, Brock Lesnar's, why would he want, why does he care about Dean Ambrose, really? He should be more concerned about the title and things and this and that. So I I can see where it's kind of weird and wishy-washy. But Ambrose is the ultimate underdog at this point. You've got plenty of time before WrestleMania for Ambrose to kind of shine, make his point, and say I can do this and that over Brock Lesnar. So I'll give it that. I'll give it a question mark at this point. It could go either yeah, but, way.
1: But don't go. But don't keep going with the whole "let me get beat up to get get up." Don't don't you know the, that's not a that's not a you know there's not a good enough storyline to go into WrestleMania because it's Brock Lesnar. So it's not like you're going to make a comeback. If you're getting manhandled and flipped around and thrown around by Brock Lesnar, like, you know, the way that he got slammed on that, uh, limousine, you know, in the, the Facebook, the whole video, it just, it just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, barely legal 1997, is the correct answer. Great job there. See, Um, fantastic. Next question. Who were the original members of ECW's triple threat stable? All right, so Usos and Ascension. I am. Usos and Dudley boys, I'm I'm not interested in that. Hopefully uh, those two teams actually have a TLC match with New Day. That's probably the only thing that I get this tag team division out of the rut. Uh, Jericho, like you said, Jericho and Styles. um, Jericho is putting him over so much. It's kind of weird, but I hope it doesn't lead to some Jericho heel turn and going against AJ Styles at WrestleMania. I really hope that's not the case. You've already lost twice against him, and you lose three times. It just doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, If they want to do Jericho, AJ as a tag team and – and go against the New Day, because Jericho does have some you know, some history with the New Day. That would kind of make sense. I wouldn't mind a Jericho and AJ against New Day match at uh, at WrestleMania. Uh, I, I, I think I might prefer that than a Kevin Owens and AJ match, because I don't think Kevin Owens should lose the Intercontinental title match this early. I don't think it would help him at all, because it would be like a hot potato, and it wouldn't help him. So, if they do that match down the line, I think it's a good idea. Uh, I'm not opposed to A.J. and Owens, but I just think that Owens – I mean, maybe Owens to have a screwy finish and, and continue the feud. I, I wouldn't be opposed to that too. But if they do want to do the Jericho-A.J. route, um, I'm not opposed to that either. Uh, wide Family, like you, you mentioned, <coughs> the wide Family beating Kane Dixon and Ryback um, this time, and then Ryback walks off. I don't know if they're, they've they contacted Goldberg possibly to bring him back. I'm not quite sure. Um, Banks and Naomi, <clears throat> that's going to lead to uh, Sasha and Becky um, having a match, which I'm, I, I'm, I don't like because um, I want a triple threat match between that. And then Roman uh, Reigns and Sheamus and Triple H beating up Roman Reigns and getting cheered by the Detroit crowd pretty much tells you that
2: they dropped the ball once again with Roman Reigns. Yeah, I mean, Roman Reigns, I don't think he's got a prayer in the world. I'm not that – I'm interested in the match, but I'm not that interested in the matches because everybody was cheering Triple H. It's almost like when yeah. Hulk Hogan said when he lost to the Ultimate Warrior when, in WrestleMania six, he was leaving, and everybody was looking at Hulk Hogan, what the heck. And you know, Ultimate Warrior's in the ring pumping his fist. No one cared. So I mean that just goes to tell you that this WrestleMania is going to be a bust. I wasn't that interested last year when it was Brock Lesnar. Everybody knew you know Brock Lesnar was going to win, but it ended up you know Seth Rollins coming in winning the title Money in the Bank. But again, yeah. that just shows goes to show that there's not that much interest in the main event of WrestleMania because if Roman Wayne Roman Reigns wins, who cares? Point taken. Point said.
1: Yeah, I mean. And, and it's not Roman Reigns' fault, man He The, the boos that he get is the, the boos that he get Is because of WWE And it's ridiculous that someone is getting Booed who's made leaps and bounds Of an improvement because of the booking just makes it absolutely no sense Alright, real quick, let's get to Flavor of the Week It is now time For the Flavor Of the
0: Week yes,
2: oh yeah,
1: wrong answer no one has the right answer yet on the triple threat members the original triple threat members Shane douglas, Chris Benoit, and dean malenko and uh hey, listen, I got some interesting news uh that i'll yeah i i'll 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 just say that uh my writing may be published soon, so uh keep uh keep that in mind. Keep that in your back pocket as I share that more in the coming weeks. All righty. So 10 of the biggest pops. I'm not going to say 10 of the the 10 biggest pops, but I will say 10 of the biggest pops in WWE history. All right. So listen, here we go. We'll just say 10 of them. And uh, Derek, uh, let me know your your favorite one out of the ten. So we have the Triple H return, two thousand two. It was it, it went bananas right before the Royal Rumble. Dolph Ziggler cash in day after WrestleMania. Chris Jericho Royal Rumble a few years back. That was just amazing. Of course, you're Shane McMahon returned yesterday. Rock after WrestleMania uh, twenty seven uh, in twenty eight. Um, when he first came back, it was just um, absolutely amazing. Uh, Hulk Hogan in Montreal uh, SmackDown in May of 2002, right before uh, Judgment Day, I believe it was. Um, he ended up losing the title to Taker, but he won the title at Backlash and uh, against Triple H. And uh, that Montreal crowd was just absolutely amazing. British Bulldog in SummerSlam '92, Wembley Stadium crowd went bananas when he won their kind of title. Hulk Hogan, Toronto WrestleMania 18. He was supposed to be a heel, but he definitely wasn't. Jericho unofficially winning the WWE World Heavyweight Championship in 2000, um, uh, defeating Triple H, but having to relinquish it uh, later on in that Raw. Of course, the Daniel Bryan Seattle retirement a few weeks back. Uh, real quick, 30 seconds, uh, Derek. Which one out of those 10 was your favorite? Uh,
2: probably, honestly, the Hulk when he came back with the NWO, um, almost before that, though, honestly, that we didn't put in was when X-Pac joined the uh Degeneration X when he just came out on Monday Night Raw after Shawn Michaels had lost the title, with Stone Cold Steve Austin, everything was in disarray. That was probably my favorite pop, both the Hulk Hogan when he came back with the NWO and almost lost it and cried and, well, let me tell you something, brother, I, that was yeah. beautiful. So I'm, I'm going to give my props to that. Just because it was so emotional and heartfelt, and yeah, that's it.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna go with <clears throat> I'm gonna go with Jericho winning the world Heavy, the, the, the WWE Championship unofficially on that Raw when he beat Triple H. The crowd just went absolutely bananas. But you know, Shane McMahon, you know, he he really uh, Shane O, o. Mac
2: last famous, night.
1: Yes. I mean, it was just absolutely I mind numbing. Him. It was just, it was just amazing. And I'm going to, I'm going to watch it again and again and again. So we'll see. We'll see with WrestleMania, the road of WrestleMania. Thank you so much, Mark Lawrence, uh, man. You know, I, I can't thank you enough man to, you know, take your time out of your, your Texas schedule. And, um, you know, come on the show live and, and just uh, share some amazing road stories. So thank you so much, Mark Morantz. Follow us at Crave Wrestling on Twitter. And, of course, like the Crave Wrestling Facebook page. Thank you so much for continuing to support the Pancakes and Power Slam show. And until next week, you all enjoy your week of wrestling. And God bless. Daddy loves Ian and Elijah. And you all have a great week. Thanks. Bye-bye.